Neat Stuff Podcast, episode 29. Welcome to the Neat Stuff Podcast. My name is Devin, a.k.a. Dano. And I am Kat, a.k.a. Magnum, with my badass Tom Selleck mustache. Yeah. We're back <laughs> for another week of neat things. But before we get started, what have you been up to this week, Kat? You know, I've been super boring this week, so I can't really say that I've done anything interesting. Um, boy, Wait, there was this... Thing. There's a ball that people threw. Yeah, we watched and some they crashed ball. into each other. We yeah. watched some sports ball today, and uh, the purple team won. So that was awesome. Yeah. Um, it was birds versus numbers, and the purple birds totally won. So that was awesome. Um, because by the end, I was the only person rooting for them. You all suck. Um, and but didn't I do anything interesting this week? I must have. Boy, my week was boring. We put together we we put together I We put together a bookcase. Yeah, that's right. Good call. What have you been doing? Well, I just found a brand new video game that's a free to play mech shooter, which is kind of a oh. cool idea. It's called Hawken. Oh, I remember watching you play that. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool because if you play Mech Warrior online, you play this giant mech you know, hulking mech that runs around and then you shoot at someone and you shoot at them all day and they never die, which is kind of annoying. Um, and Hawking, what's kind of nice is that when you shoot at someone, their little health bar goes down and you can actually tell that you're actually doing some form of damage to them, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, it's a lot faster. It's more Japanese style. Uh, it's still technically in beta. So when it actually comes out, I may talk more about it. But for now, it's kind of cool. Um, Just kind of playing around with it. Oh, I did taxes. Sorry. I did taxes. Yeah. So I'm awesome. So, Sorry. so I played around with it. It was all right. And, you know. Check it out, see what you think, and we'll talk more about it in a later date. Hopefully, maybe, if it's something that I actually want to talk about and I think is actually kind of neat. So, <laughs> yeah, you know how that works. Yes, we hope, it, we, hope it, we hope it continues to be neat. Yes. So, to start us off with our neat things, it's actually a interesting person. I've been watching a lot of connections on YouTube, and everything always seems to roll back to James Watt <laughs> and his improvement to the Newcomb steam engine. Now, you may think like, well, what's, what's the big deal with a steam engine? You know, steam engines have been around forever and everything, and they're, they're old business. But if you roll back the clock and look at what was going on in the late 1700s, there's actually a really big problem. Uh, miners were mining under the sea, and their mines were being filled with water. So these newfangled contraptions, these steam engines powered suction pistons, which allowed you to draw the water out of the mine and allowed you to actually stay in the mine and mine your, you know, coal or precious metals or whatever. The problem is, is that those steam engines really didn't work all that well. They kind of went for a bit and then they slowed down and then they kindly ground to a halt and you had to stop and wait for it to kind of get back to where a usable state and then continue going again. Um, what James Watt invented was like, okay, when you have your steam, push the cylinder up and you have this, this, um, big cylinder full of steam, the traditional way was to shoot a jet of water into it to make it contract, you know, cool down really quickly and to compress. 
well, that cooled down the little cylinder and made your engine kind of suck. What he decided was to cool all of your steam in a secondary cylinder that you could always keep cold. And suddenly things were a lot more awesome. Now that's a super simplified thing of what he has contributed, but there was a lot of material science and steam sciences. He was kind of like, steam is the coolest thing in the world. Ah, that's ironic because steam is not cool. Get it? So, so he spent a lot of time, you know, just working out all the like fundamental sciences of the steam engine and his improvements allowed future scientists and, and engineers to design steam engines that or allowed the power of steam engines to increase over a, a very rapid rate and soon you had 10,000 horsepower steam engines that were able to do all sorts of crazy things and what they were mining and all what the steam engine powered and fueled was the industrial revolution which basically allowed us to get out of the dark ages and really get us into the kind of society that we have right now, you know, cars and planes and computers and all the wonderful, you know, everyday inventions were really based off of James Watt. So he was a really cool guy and checking out, you know, and appreciating what he's done for the world is really cool. And also he came up with carbon paper, which is kind of cool. So... (laughs) My checkbooks all have carbon paper. Yeah. So. so if you don't like having to, when you have to fill something out in triplicate that you have to actually fill out three different sheets of paper, you just fill out one and it makes three copies. You can thank James Watt for that. James Watt contributed to bureaucracy. Hooray. He was Xerox before there was Xerox. I wonder where the name Xerox came from. I don't know. Um, One of the people in science that I've always been... Um, pretty pretty interested in and I think sometimes gets overlooked just because um, you know her contributions were really quite ahead of her time is uh, Ada Lovelace and um, Ada Lovelace was born in let's see 1815 um, and she's best known for being basically the world's first computer programmer before there were computers she was a student under Charles Babbage who was basically the pioneer of computers he was the pioneer of calculators i guess you could say he saw uh, you know kind of the the next logical progression of things like um of, of things like abac abacai abacuses abac- abacuses I don't, I don't know abacuses? i think it's abacai yeah anyway yes. um but he wanted to take it to the next you know to make calculators basically and, um since Ada Lovelace um, who happened to actually be the uh, daughter of Lord Byron, if anybody likes poetry. Um, the only legitimate child, actually. Um, anyway, but she was, a, she was a mathematician, basically. She was very, very interested in theoretical math and dealing with, you know, how, how to, you know, explain things via math. And um, because she spoke many different languages, at least two, I, I want to say three, Anyway, Babbage had her translate a paper from an Italian scientist, or an Italian mathematician, and when she read this paper, she kind of just started writing her own notes, kind of expanding on the guy's thoughts, and ended up writing more notes than the paper was long originally. And in those notes was contained her algorithm, basically calculated Bernoulli numbers, um, and Babbage, 
um, he was the creator of the Difference Engine, also, if you care. Um, he apparently called her the Enchantress of Numbers, um, referring, obviously, as much to her, you know, designation of the gentler sex, as well as her ability to do pretty intense mathematical calculations. So, I've always just thought that she was a very fascinating person, and, you know, her contributions didn't really... There was no real way to use those algorithms at the time that she was alive, you know, during the 1850s. So it was kind of, or 1840s, I guess. So it's kind of this, you know, unappreciated just because there was nothing to do with it. She was just so theoretical. Yeah. One of the interesting things with Babbage is that his difference engine wasn't even, you know, able to be, wasn't even created. It was still theoretical when all this was going on. There was no way for her to actually check her work to actually make sure that it actually worked with a difference engine because it wasn't built. And that's, it wasn't until later when they actually went into, you know, real computer science and, you know, transistor based computers that they were really able to go back and really prove a lot of these things that she had come up with. And what's I think really cool about Ada Lovelace is that she, you know, Babbage was all about, this is a computational powerhouse. We are going to use a different engine to compute numbers, to do math very quickly, using mechanical energy to make calculations. But uh, Ada was like, you can use this to solve problems. Like you can actually, in, you know, come up with an algorithm, put it into the difference engine, and it'll spit out the answer to different things that you want to know about, different mathematical proofs. You can use it to prove math. It was very, very cool. So another really cool woman out there that you should really know about. If you don't already. Because her work pioneered a certain field that is basically been a major effect of pretty much you know, society, culture, politics in, you know, in America for the last, oh, I don't know, 50... 100 years. Yeah, last 100 years. It is a woman named Marie Curie. Now, her actual full name is Polish, and I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I'm going to butcher it. And I'm going to try and butcher it. But um, it's Maria Skodowska. I believe. And feel free to send me angry letters. That's fine. Um, I'm sorry, but even with my little bit of IPA, Polish is hard, man. Polish is really hard, but... Um, so yeah, Mar- Maria Skodowska. Skodowska. There we go. I'm not going to get it right. Yeah, so most of what... You know, she's most commonly tasked is, oh, she invented... Or she discovered radium. Ooh, and polonium. Well, she discovered polonium first, but yeah, continue. She took some pioneering research on how x-rays work and really dove deep into it and was able to, you know, discover that, you know, the started like getting the inklings of what radiation actually was, that there was a thing out there called radiation, that certain elements admitted particles. Yeah. You know, she didn't really understand everything that was going on with it. But she she pioneered that conceptual, the conceptualization of it. Yeah. And it was a really big deal because that foundation of knowledge really sort of kicked off a lot of the research into radiation and the study of atomic theory and everything like that. So it was a big freaking deal when she came out with it. 
I think one of the most impressive things that came out of, you know, all of her research is that she ended up being the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in 1903. And in addition, she didn't just win one Nobel Prize. No, she ended up winning a second Nobel Prize later in a different science, which is the only time that's happened is when somebody won two different Nobel Prizes in different sciences. And she's really kind of a badass. Like, when she was growing up, her father was a teacher or a professor. Um, and she was growing up in a time when Russia was kind of, you know, pushing pushing out Polish, you know, Poland's ability to do anything. And so her teachers let, or her parents let her, made sure she had places to study. They would bring home stuff so that she could study. When she got old enough, she studied at these kind of clandestine, you know, high schools and colleges until she was able to get to Paris, where she could study in Paris, which is where she met her husband, and she ended up getting her husband interested in radiation. He was a, te he was teaching her, he was he was doing research on something else, but I don't remember what it was. I think, oh, here it goes. He he had written his research on magnetism, and um, when they were working together, he had be, he ended up uh, going in with her to do um, study uh, research on radiation, and it was really hard because even though she was the pioneer and the driving force behind all of this, when it came time to give out um, the Nobel prizes. Originally, they just wanted to give it to him, and he was like, no, I, what? No, I didn't do this. You need to give it to her. And they're like, oh, all right, fine. We'll give it to a woman, which, of course, was a huge deal because women weren't supposed to be doing science in the first place. She was really dedicated to her Polish heritage, and she made sure that all of her, both her children spoke Polish. She always kept her hyphenated last name so that she never lost her Polish ancestry um, through names. France was kind of a jerk to her all the time. You know, she had to put up with all kinds of crap. As long as she was doing good stuff, as long as all of her research worked out, they're like, oh, hail our, our beautiful French citizen, Marie Curie. Oh, it's fantastic. This is wonderful. And then something would happen. You know, I, her husband died horribly tragically. I was, I guess horribly tragically is redundant. Her husband died in a really sad accident and she ended up having a relationship with somebody else later and he ended up being married and then they're like oh this horrible Polish woman is you know ruining science and she's a you know women shouldn't be allowed to do blah 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 and you know it's just this back and forth of we hate you oh wait you're doing good oh no we love you as a French citizen yes you're excellent so you know she put up with a lot just to get her work done and she ended up dying of all the radiation I mean, she worked with radiation for so long, she died of radiation poisoning. She died of aplastic anemia from radiation poisoning. Her research papers today, if you go to Paris and want to read her research papers, you need to sign a waiver, you need to put on radiation-proof clothing and handle them with gloves because they are still radioactive. It, it's her aura permeated the papers, and now they just that wonderful radiation that comes back out to you, which they measure in curies. Cause... Yeah, in case you ever wanted to know. So she's a, she was a really cool person, and a lot of her research helped, you know, 
uh, help scientists and doctors use radiation for the betterment of humanity. They had Geiger counters, which allowed us to figure out, oh, this thing's radioactive. We should probably stay away from it. Or, oh, this is how you better use x-rays and other forms of radiation for uh, medical treatments and other such things that without her fundamental work, you know, there'd be probably a lot more people dying of cancer. So True, true. Yeah. I mean, she just really gave people a way to to study these things. It was kind of like the jumping off point, you know, even though she didn't do the specific um, studies, you know, her work kind of opened the door for all these different directions that people could go. Yeah. And speaking of someone whose work opened the door for an entire field of research, our next neat person is a woman named Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin is a crystallographer. So actually crystallography was a, and still is, um, a way to view really small repeating molecules because you could actually watch it build up and then shoot x-rays. See, x-rays, radiation. Um to get an image of something very small and then by the way that it was formed you could kind of guess the angle it was at and it's it's a really tricky thing to do it's hard to do now and back then when realistically the equipment you had was much more rough it it was even harder um so she ended up working at king's college in london and she developed, she refined the method of x-ray crystallography to produce images of the DNA double helix structure. Um, she did a lot of calculations too. Um, x-ray crystallography to, to actually understand the structure of something, you have to do a lot of calculations, you have to do a lot of pictures, and you have to figure out, you have to end up doing the mathematical calculations for the stability of the molecule in different ways to kind of figure out exactly how it's building. And her research was leaked to Watson and Crick, who um, ended up basically jumping the gun because she she was a very methodical person. Everything says that she refused to jump to any conclusions. And they kind of, they got a hold of her um, research through what some speculate was a jealous colleague um, who they'd never gotten along and he theoretically leaked her um, photograph, which disproved the original Linus Pauling um, model of DNA. And when they saw that and they compared it with her th- her original calculations, kind of jumped to making a, um, a full-scale model at Cambridge. And they got their work out pretty much a week before she would have. Um, and so she kind of got scooped by them and they never credited her because um, they there's so much debate on this about whether whether they knew that she had done the work and didn't want to credit her or whether the person who had leaked the photos to them was going to take credit for it. But either way, she ended up not getting credited and then she died super early. Like she died five years after this whole thing happened and well before anybody could have ever discussed changing anything to give her information and to credit her when they won their Nobel Prize because you can't apply, you cannot award a Nobel Prize posthumously. 
So it's, uh, she never, she never ended up getting credit for that. And I think, I, I think it's interesting to hear about this woman who was very stern and calculating and, you know, methodical in all of her work and, you know, was essentially a really incredible, um, researcher who just died before her time was really, you know, but before she could have gotten credit for what she had done and her detailed information. But the work that she did do and the sort of kicking off of DNA research, you know, discovering what the actual structure of DNA was, was a huge step in the discovery of bio, you know, of biosciences and really understanding how life works. So gene therapy and, you know, and doing genetic research and, you know. Uh, well, and Watson and Crick were really focused on the nucleic acids kind of as at more of a molecular level rather than the the structure at first and then you know when they saw the importance of you know how close the structure really was and they saw Linus Pauling's kind of failed attempt at it you know they took what they knew and then basically took most of her work and and built the model she was much more into writing the theoretical and so I think I think she knew, you know, where the possibilities, of course, were going. And I think she took a lot of pride in her work. It was just that she she wouldn't jump the gun. So the person who posts first is usually credited with whatever the thing was. That's why news organizations are so big on being first, because whoever does it, whoever breaks the story or breaks the discovery is generally the one that history remembers. If you come in a week later or even a minute later, you're just like, oh, well, you didn't actually discover it or, oh, no, that's not you. You weren't first. So you just move along. And scooping, you know, scooping in labs still happens today. And, you know, it's it's really hard because nobody wants to publish anything while they're still doing research. So you may know that another lab is doing research on the same thing as you, and you're just hoping that your paper gets out before theirs does. And I had a friend who got scooped um, in college, and her paper was under peer review when the other lab's paper came out. So, I mean, it was it was a matter of months away. Like, it was it was – she had finished writing it. And this other lab beat her to it and got to publish the data. And basically when her paper came out, nobody cared because that data was already there. And I think that's really hard, you know. But, you know, in Rosalind's case, in Rosalind Franklin's case, it was a little bit more difficult because it wasn't that she got scooped. It was that they used her data. You know, at least at least getting scooped generally is when two people come to the same conclusion independently as opposed to here where they just took her data and then took it to the next step and never credited her. Yeah. So plagiarism is rampant throughout history and it's just another example of it. And the only thing we can do to really, you know, appreciate these people is to remember them and to be like, yeah, this person totally was the one who really figured a bunch of this stuff out. And they're totally awesome. This person was super awesome. Yeah. And with all the people that we talked about today, I mean, it was surprising when you ask people about the, you know, you talk about these famous people who affect your everyday life. How many people out there are like, who's a what's it now? Madam what? Who Watts? Who the heck is that? I, I know that Watts are the thing that are on my light bulb. Why does we care? Oh, oh, you mean it's a guy? who really helped kick off the Industrial Revolution that completely changed the course (laughs) of human history? Yeah. Oh, oh, maybe I should know that guy because 
you know, my life of luxury is based off of the hardship that he helped pioneer. So, well, and it's hard because I mean, there's so many people throughout history. You know, there there are just there are so many people who will never get appreciated by everyone, and so, you know. I obviously gravitate towards certain types of people, and you obviously gravitate towards certain types of people, and I think it's important that, you know, just just look stuff up every once in a while. Be like, huh, I wonder how that happened. Um, I know when I was looking up Marie Curie, you know, I learned about uh, Willem Röntgen, who I'd heard of before. I remembered hearing the name because I'm a biologist, and I took lots of classes in science when I was in college. He was the guy who discovered x-rays. You know, that's that's really important, and... You know, people, you know, the, the people who followed in Marie Curie's footsteps, you know, she has some really famous people who ended up basically studying stuff that she did and coming up with more incredible things. And, you know, it's it's just these these long chains of interesting people that I didn't know anything about until I just started looking. Wikipedia is your friend, people. Wikipedia is your friend. And one of the things is that when you look at people and their discoveries, a lot of what makes them famous is how they relate those discoveries to you, how they break it down, how they explain it. Because to really be able to get, you know, a theory or a, a, a scientific concept published, you need to be able to describe it in such a way that other people understand it. And it's a really great way of learning about some really fundamental scientific theories and, and you know, technologies that can really help, you know, make you understand what's going on in the world you know that if you have no idea how radiation works then you may be like oh my god the sun is going to destroy my cells and because it emits radiation or oh no this cell phone i'm going to put it next to my head and it's going to cause brain cancer because it emits radio waves uh panic well and it's interesting there too of course because then you get into a discussion of what research says and what research doesn't say and we could go on forever about which research is correct and which research is basically just kind of fluffed up or um for example i i really want to mention this one really briefly yes there is a research paper out there that says aspartame plus yellow food coloring gives mice brain cancer. That's because they injected it straight into the brain. You brains don't work like that. They you can't things don't work like that. Yes, if you there are lots of ways to make research say exactly what you want, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily translate directly into actual research. So I think it's important, you know, to to realize where the basis of all your research is coming from and, you know, understand how the scientific process works and how somebody studying, you know, x-rays can eventually help somebody figure out, you know, the, the other types of radiation, which will lead to nuclear physics. So there's just... Little doors opening different ways lead to very creative um, possibilities. So do yourself a favor. Open up a book. Search the internet. Find out about some cool people. Because it, if it's... Because if you don't learn... It's, you'll both... Because you will both learn something cool 
and have something really neat to talk about at dinner parties because people love it when you talk about other people that aren't yourself because you're not being narcissistic, but you are being like, I'm super smart because I know all these cool people that you should totally know about. (laughs) And it totally works. Works every time. Yep. So if you know of any neat people that are um, so much underground, we probably haven't heard of them yet. Wrap that up in an email and send it to us at neatstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to check us out on iTunes on Neat Stuff Podcast and at neatstuffpodcast.com. Where you can get the RSS feed and download all of our episodes. Hooray! Yay! So, from the Neat Stuff crew, my name is Devin. And I'm Kat Tom Selleck Marvin. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Have a wonderful week, guys, and we'll see you next time. See you, everybody. Bye-bye. Fancy pants. I hate you so much. <laughs> God damn it. Um. Popcorn. Microwave radiation. Heating water. Making things with pop. Ooh. There was no microwave radiation. This was all heat. Thank you yeah. very much. Anyway. Electric resistance. <laughs> Making things hot. Yeah. <laughs>